Well, if I could ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, our scripture reading for this morning is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through to 20. Mark 5, verses 1 to 20. This is the word of our Father. They came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was there feeding, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. We pray it would be preached faithfully. We pray that you would grow us in our love for you and love for one another. We pray that you would cleanse us through your word, that you would set us free through your word, that we might bear fruit, that we might walk in the liberty that is ours in Christ. I pray if there are any who know you not, that you would bring them to know you. And I pray that those who do know you, you would bring them to a restored joy in their salvation because of Christ and his love. Thank you that he loves us. Thank you that he loves those who are in darkness. Thank you that we were once in darkness, but you have transferred us now through your son's work into the kingdom of light. May we as a church be given the joy of seeing many people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So renew us this morning. Help us when we are weak and needy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so this morning's text is a very dark text. Um, firstly, you have the obvious darkness. 
You have the man. This man is obviously in darkness. There's obviously something deeply wrong with him. Um, but then there's the not so obvious darkness. Think about verse 17. The herdsmen go and tell people in the city and the region what happened. They come out, and verse 17, what is their response to, to the liberation of this man in darkness and to this incredible display of power through the word of the Lord? What is their response? They beg Jesus to leave. They want him to go away. And that's dark, isn't it? They want nothing to do with Jesus. It's just as dark as the man was. Not as obvious, but just as dark, isn't it? But you know, the wonderful thing in this text is this. Into both forms of darkness, the obvious and the not so obvious, the light of Jesus, the love of Jesus shines. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. We'll look at it in four parts. A man in darkness, the Lord's love, and then a place in darkness, and again, the Lord's love. Firstly, a man in darkness, reading verses 1 to 5 again. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he, re chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You've probably heard the phrase, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And that's true. Think of war. It's helpful to know ahead of time the, the different ways that your enemy might try to attack, might seek to destroy you. And I think something similar can be said here. This man is a picture of the different ways in which our enemy, Satan, seeks to destroy us. He's a picture of the different ways in which Satan seeks to destroy a person. And notice a few things. Firstly, notice his isolation. Satan has isolated this man. He has, as it were, socially destroyed him. He separated him off, right? Like a lion seeks to separate off the weak one in the pack. That's what he's done with this man. He socially destroyed him. And that's one way that Satan destroys people. He isolates them. He puts them off by themselves. Secondly, he sought to physically destroy him. You see that in his self-harm. He cuts himself. But you also see that in his sleep deprivation. Notice this phrase, night and day. This man is not sleeping like he should. Like he needs to. And that's another way that Satan seeks to destroy people. It's really simple. He robs them of sleep, keeps them up at night, accuses them at 3 a.m., works on their conscience in the early hours of the morning, robbing them of sleep. Thirdly, Satan has emotionally destroyed this man. And again, you see this in two ways. You see that in his crying out, right? That's the behavior of someone who's emotionally oppressed. But then think about this phrase, among the tombs and on the mountains. It's a picture of restlessness. That's what this man is. He's a picture of restlessness. 
This man is not emotionally at rest. He's all over the place. And that's another way that Satan seeks to destroy people. Emotional turmoil, torment, pain, and restlessness. Robbing them of the rest that is theirs in the gospel. Robbing them of the peace that is theirs in the gospel. Finally, he's mentally destroyed this man. None of what we see in this man is the behavior of someone in their right mind. And again, this is how Satan seeks to destroy people, by destroying them mentally. Now, I'm not saying all mental illnesses of the devil. Some people say that. It's nonsense. It's really bad theology to say that all mental illnesses of the devil. And the reason it's bad theology is that your brain is just as much a part of your body as your knee, and you don't blame Satan for a broken knee. Why would you blame him for a broken brain? It's foolishness. But having said that, you have to recognize that Satan does seek to destroy people mentally. He does seek to make them think in irrational and fearful ways. Think of Paul's words. He has to say, Paul has to say this. Think of this. Paul has to say to Timothy, listen, Timothy, you haven't received a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now, why would Paul have to say that to Timothy? Why would he have to say to him, listen, don't worry, you haven't received a spirit of fear. Why would he have to say that? This is part of the reason. Because Satan seeks to get people to behave in fearful ways with slavish fear towards their father. That's how he seeks to destroy them mentally. Back to the text, though. Notice how others have responded to this. How have others responded to this awful picture of how Satan seeks to destroy a person? What they've done is this. They've just tried to chain him down. Maybe there's a note of lovelessness here. Um, Here's this broken man and all they try and do is shackle him. Maybe there's a note of lovelessness here, but certainly there's a note of helplessness in the way that they have tried to deal with this man. Notice the end of verse 4. No one had the strength to subdue him. Notice how categorical this language is. Right? No one had the strength to subdue. No one at all. No one could do it. Perhaps they searched high and low for someone strong enough to do something with this man, but they couldn't find anyone. Not even the strongest man in the whole Decapolis was strong enough to subdue this man. It's a note of helplessness, but it's a note of helplessness that sets us up for what? sets us up for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can do so. Look with me at verses 6 to 16. There's a lot of text, but we'll read it. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. I just want to point out a, a few things here. Firstly, what's with the name? What's with the name here? Why does Jesus ask this question? What is your name? Now, it's not clear if Jesus is asking the man himself for his name or if he's addressing the unclean spirit. Not clear in Mark, at least. In any case, the man himself says, so it's his mouth saying this, speaking these words, my name is Legion. And the question is, why does Jesus get the man to say, my name is Legion? We can't be certain. But it's possible that Jesus, in asking for this man's name, or asking, getting the man to say, my name is Legion, it's possible that Jesus is really just highlighting the extent of the problem. Notice this. This man is so bound up so enslaved to darkness that he self-identifies with the darkness. That's literally what's going on here. Notice Mark's language in verse 15. It's just really interesting. He says, this is the man who had the legion. Mark doesn't say, this is the man who was legion. He doesn't say, this is the man whose name was legion. He says, this is the man who had the legion. Right? There's a separation. He's the one who had the legion. But when this man spoke, how did he speak? He spoke as though he was the legion. He self-identified with the darkness. He said, that's my name. My name is legion. That's how bound up he was in the darkness. That's how enslaved he was to this darkness. So that's the first thing. What's with the name here? It's possible that Jesus is just highlighting the extent of the problem. He's so enslaved, he just self-identifies with the darkness. Secondly, what's with the pigs? Why does Jesus permit the unclean spirits to destroy them? If I remember rightly, um, the late atheist Christopher Hitchens did not like this text. He, he didn't like it. He took exception to this text. He saw it as problematic, right? Why is Jesus allowing these pigs to be destroyed? But you know, it's only problematic if Jesus isn't God. Because every day, for reasons unknown to us, God allows all sorts of evil to take place. It's happening all the time. It's happening right now. God is allowing evil things to take place. He's allowing evil to, to work destruction. He allows all sorts of dark forces to destroy. Now, he himself doesn't do evil. He can't do evil. But for his own good reasons and good purposes, he permits it. And applying that to the text, if Jesus is God, then this, is, this slots right into that same dynamic. Now, we can still struggle with it. We can say, why does he allow this to happen? I can't see a good reason at all. But the point is, if Jesus is God, this isn't strange. This isn't problematic. We shouldn't be surprised by it. Because as I say, this happens every day. God, for his own good purposes, which we don't always know, allows great evil to take place. 
Thirdly, though, I want to point out what the Lord does here. Notice verse 15. This is beautiful. The Lord in his love has completely reversed the destruction that Satan has wrought in this man. Think of just this short phrase. Just meditate on this phrase with me. Meditate on these words. Verse 15. Sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. Before, he was a picture of restlessness, wasn't he? Right? He was among the tombs, then he was on the mountains. He was restless. Now what's happened? That's been completely reversed, hasn't it? The Lord and his love has reversed that. Because now he's just sitting there. He's not up on the mountains and then in the tombs, all over the place. He's at rest. He's just sitting there. He's still. Before, think about this, before he was harming himself physically, wasn't he? He was destroying his own body. Now what's happened? Again, Jesus and his love has, has reversed that because now he's clothed. He's covered. He's protecting his body, or at least he's allowing his body to be protected. Before he was out of his mind, irrational, fearful, dark in his mind, without hope. Now he's in his right mind. Again, the Lord and his love has completely reversed this man's situation. He's thinking, well, Jesus in his love has completely reversed the situation and has brought about all of that in this man's life. John says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's exactly what he's done here. But then one final thing I want to point out. How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus completely reverse this man's situation and completely undo all the destruction that Satan had wrought in his life? Life. This is really interesting. How did he do it? Firstly, think of how the people of this region had tried to deal with it. They had tried to deal with it, if I can use this phrase, by metal, hadn't they? Right? That's how they tried to deal with this man, deal with this problem. They tried to deal with it by metal, right? They, they just tried to chain him down. They tried to deal with it by force by sheer power and strength. But that didn't work. They were helpless. But Jesus is able to. He is able to, to, to subdue this man, as it were, help him, reverse his situation. Indeed, he was the only one who was able to help this man. But how did he do it? Not by metal, but by mercy. By mercy. That's what he says in verse 19. Mercy. He did it by mercy, specifically by his merciful word. He loved this man. And in that love, through his word, he freed him. And this is still true today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way he liberates people now is exactly the same as the way he liberated this man. In his love, he gives us his word. And as he says in John, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is how he liberates us. By his mercy, through his word.
speaking to us, giving us the scriptures, giving us church where we can hear his word preached. That's how he sets us free. The problem is this, though. The problem is that as fallen human beings, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear his word. Which brings us to our third heading. We've looked at a man in darkness. We've looked at the Lord's love for that man. Now let's look at a place in darkness. Look at how the town responds. Verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why are they doing this? Why are they begging for him to depart from their region? What is going on here? I mean, think of how horrible this is. Notice this word beg. They're, they're not just saying, hey, we'd appreciate it if you left. Right? I mean, that would be bad enough. This is way worse than that. They're begging for him to leave. They're on their knees saying, please go away. We don't want you anywhere near us, anywhere near our region. Just go right now. Please go. That shows such a deep darkness. Here's the light of the world. Think about it. Just Here's the light of the world standing right in front of them. And they want nothing to do with that light. They want to stay in darkness. And how often are we like that? Right? Without even knowing it. I mean, this is the thing. They don't know this is dark. Right? This would have just been within them. Their impulse, oh, we just want this guy out of here. They wouldn't have thought that's evil, that's satanic, that's dark. But it was. It was evil. It was horrible. But how often are we like that? How often are fallen humans like that? Without even knowing it, we're like that. We don't want to hear Jesus speak. Something within us just recoils against it. We don't want to hear him speak. We don't want to come to church where Jesus, through his word, addresses his people. We don't want to hear the gospel. We don't want to hear his word. But another way to say all of that is we just don't want to be free. Because it's his word that sets us free. It's the word that he gave us in his love. That word sets us free. But back to the text. Think of how tragic this picture is. This is just heartbreakingly tragic. How does Jesus respond? Just ask this question. How does Jesus respond to people who don't want him around? How does Jesus respond to people who beg for him to go? He said, just please go away. The answer is amazing. The answer is he allows himself to be rejected, but he still reaches out to them in love. Look with me at verses 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he, him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Notice how Jesus responds to those who beg for him to leave, who don't want to have anything to do with him. Notice how he responds. It's very simple. He allows himself to be rejected. Look at the start of verse 18. As he was getting into the boat. Think about that. They beg him to go. They say, please go. Please just get out of here. And what does he say? 
Okay. That's what you want. I'll leave. That's okay. He just leaves. He allows himself to be rejected. I mean, just think about This is so beautiful. Think about what a picture of humility the Lord is, right? If you were at someone's house and they said, please go, please leave, I don't want you here. If someone said that to you, how would you feel? You'd feel offended. Right? You'd feel angry. You'd feel hurt. I mean, your ego would just rise up and say, what do you mean you don't want me around? I'm a great guy. Everyone likes me. You mean you don't want me here? I'm not leaving. This is your house, but I'm not leaving. No one tells me to go. That's how you'd react. There's no ego here. There's no anger. They say, please go. And Jesus says, okay, that's right. I'm going to leave them. No ego whatsoever. And the, the amazing thing, I mean, this is, our Lord is so beautiful. He leaves them. He allows himself to be rejected. But he still loves them. Because he says to this man, as it were, well, they don't want me to stay. But you can stay. And you can reach them. Or better said, I can reach them through you. Isn't that wonderful? Right? The man begs to go with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say to him, okay, well, we're out of here. Just leave these jokers here in their darkness. They don't want me. They don't want you. Let's get out of here. He doesn't do that. He says, they don't want me. They don't want me here. But you can stay. And I can use you to reach them. And that is so wonderful. Jesus loves not only this man in darkness. He loves this whole region that lies in darkness. And in that darkness has just rejected him. He still loves them, and he still seeks to reach them. What wonderful love and humility there is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is in our Savior, that there is in our Father. And again, this is just a picture of the cross. What did Jesus pray on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want you to know this morning, whoever you are, if you've rejected the Lord, and all of us have, and all of us do every day, every day, he still loves you, and he still died for you on the cross. So repent anew this morning. Come to him as you are. Let him free you through the word of his love that he so loved you, even though you've hated him, that he died for your sin. May we, in response to his wonderful love and humility, love him and strive never, ever again to reject him. For he is worthy of our love, is he not? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we pray that as your people, we would be awed by the love and humility of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in being awed would strive to never reject him to never reject his word, but to love his word. For it is, it is his word that sets us free. And it's his word that he gave us in love, that we might know that freedom. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ 
is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. And as we see him full of love and humility, as we see him loving those who rejected him, we are seeing your character. And may we believe that. We so often have wrong thoughts of you and we're filled with slavish fear. Father, forgive us for this. Forgive us for our unbelief and grant that we would, all of us, think rightly about who you are as our Father and who we are as your forgiven children, that we might know great peace and rest of soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.